Dear Father in heaven, Lord, this topic of addictions that is happening here on the devil's battleground, it's really about the battle going on in our own hearts, in all of our hearts. And Lord, now as we talk about addictions in the end times, in the time of the end, in that that crucial period just before you come to end all of this pain and suffering, Lord, we need to know what it is you want of us. Because we have learned and many of us have experienced that you are the only source of healing. You are the only hope. And you've told us that the part that we play may be immeasurably small, but it's the one part that you require. So give us now wisdom and understanding and help us so that we are where you can save us. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. So, do you remember when Christ was seated on the hillside, looking at the city of Jerusalem, and the disciples said to him, well, Christ said prior, just a little prior, he said, not one of these walls will be here, will remain. And the disciples said to him, Lord, tell us when. When will this happen, and what will be the sign of your coming? You know, a few weeks ago, I had the amazing privilege of visiting Jerusalem. It is an absolute dream to be there. If you ever get the chance, I recommend that you take it to go visit the beautiful city and the countryside where Christ lived and served But as they were looking upon that city in its splendor at that time, wondering, how could Christ say this is all coming to an end? And and he began to talk, and we know these passages so well, we study it over and over again. In Matthew 24, the signs of his coming. And he says this in Matthew 24, verse 12 through 14, And because iniquity shall abound, the love of many shall wax cold. And what is iniquity? Sin. The transgression of the law, right? That's how we often hear it defined. Sin is also separation from God. And he says, because it will abound, the love of many will grow cold. But, he says this then, but he that shall endure to the end, the same shall be saved. So you see, Christ says, this is the reality of what's happening. But then he says, but. He has a plan. And then he says the words that we know so well. And this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in all the world for a witness unto all nations, 
and then shall the end come. There's so much in that one verse that I'd love to unpack if we had time, but I encourage you, just go back and meditate and study on that one verse and find out what was Christ really getting at. He says, this gospel shall be preached as a witness. Now, in order to be a witness, you have to have what? Seen or experienced the thing you're talking about. And he says, that will happen before the end will come. This gospel, what does the word gospel mean? Good news. Good news. So he's saying this good news of the kingdom. And I think it's so interesting that he says it in the context of iniquity abounding, the love of many growing cold, and then that, that exclamation of but. Those who endure to the end will be saved. And he says this gospel this good news will be taken to all the world. This is a quote from Councils on Health, page 615. I have been shown that we live amid the perils of the last days. Now, she wrote this in the um, 1880s, so all the more relevant for us today. A terrible picture of the condition of the world has been presented before me. Immorality abounds everywhere. Is that what Christ was talking about too? Licentiousness is the special sin of this age. Huh. Never did vice lift its deformed head with such boldness as now. The people seem to be benumbed and the lovers of virtue and true godness, uh, goodness are nearly discouraged by its boldness, strength, and prevalence. Benumbed. What does benumbed mean? It's your brain. It's talking about the effect on your brain, right? Yeah. Which can then affect your immobilization physically. But our brains are completely so clouded and unable to make wise decisions and choices because of the special sin of this age. Now, we talked a little bit yesterday about what, well, we've been talking both days about what addictions do to the brain. So plant that thought in your mind what addictions do to the brain, and what we are saying here that sin also does to the brain. Going on, this is continuing the same quote. The iniquity which abounds is not merely confined to the unbeliever and the scoffer. Okay, now she's talking about a certain group of people, those who don't believe, and then those who are the scoffers, the ones who are pretty much persecuting those who do believe. But that iniquity is not just isolated to that group. 
She says, would that this were the case, but it is not. Many men and women who profess the religion of Christ are guilty. So she's bringing it a closer to home. Even Christians, those who call themselves by the name of Christ, fall under that category. But then she adds this, even some who profess to be looking for his appearing, what are the, who are they? When you're looking for Christ's appearing, you are a Adventist. That's what the term Adventist means. It means you are looking for the soon appearing of Christ. So she's saying even some who profess to be Adventists are no more prepared for that event than Satan himself. Oh, wow. That's a hard saying. That's a hard saying. But it's only when we take these hard sayings to our heart that maybe God can reach us. Going on in that same quote. Why? Why is that? They are not cleansing themselves from all pollution. They have so long served their lust that it is unnatural, that it is natural for their thoughts to be impure and their imaginations corrupt. It is as impossible to cause their minds to dwell upon pure and holy things as it would be to turn the course of Niagara and send its waters pouring up the falls. Wow! This is the state of those who are unbelievers, who are scoffers, who call themselves by Christ's name, and those who appear, who look for Christ appearing. There's not another class of group out people out there, <laughs> right? That pretty much covers the entire planet, doesn't it? Ecclesiastes 7.29 says this, Lo, this only have I found, that God hath made man upright, but they have sought out many inventions. Again, we're talking about the mind here. Do you see this theme coming up? The thoughts. What was it like in the beginning? You know, in order to understand the end, you need to know the beginning, right? The beginning really sets the stage for what the end is all about. So let's look at what it was like in the beginning. Genesis 1.27, God created man in his own image. In the image of God created he him, male and female created he them. So God created us in his image. Let's look at what was his design in creation. Okay, we're going to do a Bible study. Genesis chapter 2 and verse 7, it says this, And the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living soul. There are two components that God that, that is mentioned here. Man is formed by... in by the 
dust of the ground, his body is formed, and then God breathes into him the, the breath of life, connecting himself with the, the body he formed, and now it's alive. So there are two components to our being that God identifies here, our physical frame and our spiritual connection with him. And it was unbroken connection with God. It was his pure breath itself that he gave us. Now in Genesis chapter 2, verses 18 through 20, it says this, And the Lord God said, It is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him and help meet for him. And out of the ground, the Lord God formed every beast of the field and every fowl of the air and brought them unto Adam to see what he would call them. And whatsoever Adam called every living creature, that was the name thereof. So, God said it's not good for man to be alone. And then God said, but before God did anything about that, he said to Adam, Adam, you see these creatures around you? I want you to know that this is a lion. Can you repeat after me? This is a lion. Is that what God did? No. no. God said, Adam, what is this? I want you to use that thinking brain that I gave you. I want you to use creativity that I have gifted you with. I want you to, to just come up with a name. And whatever you call it, Adam, I will call it that too. God gave us the ability to think and to create with our minds. And he wanted that mental power to be so beautiful. And he appreciated that ability in us. So, he gave, um, let me read verse 20 now. And Adam gave names to all cattle, fowl of the air, every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helpmeet for him. So what Adam discovered was that it was not good to be alone. God implanted in him the desire for relationship. Not the relationship with the animals. And by the way, he had relationship with the angels. In fact, he had a relationship with God himself. But God said, that's not enough. I want you to desire to be with someone like you. So, God gave us a physical frame. He made us in spiritual connection with him. He gave us a desire for relationship with someone like us. And he gave us mental and cognitive abilities. Now, when we look at Luke 2.52, the description of Jesus Christ when he was a child. It says, And Christ grew in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. Wisdom is mental abilities. Stature is 
physical frame. Favor with God is spiritual relationship with him. And favor with man is that social relationship. So these four components that God put in us. Now plant that thought in your mind, because it's going to come back up when we talk about addictions. Here's the problem, though. Because in Genesis chapter 3, just a short time later, we see what happened when sin came into the picture. And we're not going to read all these verses, but they're here for you. In Genesis 3, verse 7, this is when after Adam and Eve have eaten the fruit, the forbidden fruit. And what it says is that their eyes were opened and they knew that they were naked and they hid themselves. So shame entered the picture. It was not there before. Shame came in as a result of sin. And in verse 8, and God came looking for them. And when Adam and Eve heard the voice of God saying, Adam, where are you? They, what did they do? They hid. So that spiritual connection they had with God, their father, was now broken and they were hiding from him. They separated themselves from him. So they were now also broken spiritually. In in, uh, verse 11 and 12, when God says to Adam, Adam, what did you do? Adam says, what? He said, the woman that you gave me. Blame. And and putting it all on, on the other person. The gift that God gave him, he turned it against God and said that she's the, it's her fault. And the relationship between the two of them was now marred and broken. And then in verses 16 through 19, we hear about the curses and we hear God tell them, you came from dust, you will return to dust. And God said, in sweatness of your brow, you will till the field. He said, you're going to have physical pain and suffering, and you will eventually die. The four components that he created us with, mental, physical, social, and spiritual, all were broken as a result of sin. Now, I don't know about you, but I'm pretty sure I inherited that, too. In fact, we've all inherited it. That is the machinery, that is the equipment that we have all received. Regardless if we've been in the church for all our life or not, that is still the equipment that we have to work with. And it's really important when we look at the issue of addictions because what we are finding is that there are many factors that kind of promote the the behavior of addictions. But 96% of people who are asking treatment 
who are looking for treatment, what they tell us is that they have had a history of trauma or abuse in their life. 96%. So when you think about people who have had addictive behaviors, addictions to substances, you have to understand what was their story. Just like with Adam and Eve, we need to understand what was the story. Pain, trauma, abuse, and at the bottom line, brokenness. That is really the cause of addictions. In fact, I'll say this now. Addictions is pretty much the worst case scenario of everything that sin can do. And I'll tell you why in a moment. How many of you have heard of adverse childhood experiences? They're sometimes called ACEs. Okay, some of us have. Um, this term is really describing the trauma, the abuse that children experience during their formative years. And we're finding that a lot of this really impacts their future life in, in many, many different ways. There are three primary forms of ACEs, abuse, can be physical, emotional, or sexual, or a combination of all. Neglect, and that can be either physical neglect or emotional neglect, when they're not bonding with their family, with their parents especially during those early formative years, that can set them down a path as well. Um, and family challenges, now this is a huge list, and you've, I've listed a number of them on here, but these are so many things that can affect that child during those years. For example, growing up with family members who abuse drugs or alcohol. So that automatically puts them down at risk, puts them at risk. Criminal behavior, mental illness, strife between parents or domestic abuse, even divorce, separation. Those are traumatic experiences for the child. Loss of a loved one, um, life-threatening illnesses during childhood. Those are all hits against the child. Bullying, growing up in poverty, school violence. Now that's rampant these days, isn't it? School violence, it's everywhere. You wonder these days, is there any child who has not had one? And it's so sad to, to be thinking of that being the condition, but when you look at this list, you wonder, is there anyone who's safe? Well, this is what ACEs have, um, have created, is that children who experience five or more of these ACEs, what we find is that they are seven to 10 times more likely to fall into an addiction. So five or more. It, it makes me think about the, the, the families that are going through refugee situations yeah. or displacement situations. And they've got so many hits against them. 60% or more of adults report that they have had at least one of those ACEs. 60% or more. Do you remember how many adults actually experience an addiction, addictive behavior? 
you remember that number from a couple days ago? It was 47%, so almost half. So you might see some, maybe some correlations. What we also know is that when we prevent those ACEs, they can reduce levels of risky behaviors like early sex, unintended teen pregnancy, smoking, binge drinking, so experimenting with those drugs to, that will eventually get them down that pathway. Violence, incarceration, and I like this, poor diet. Preventing those adverse experiences prevents having a poor diet. And we, you'll hear tomorrow about why the diet is so important in this topic. But you know what's really sad about this is that the abused often becomes the abuser. It sets them up into a cycle. And what they experienced, what they learned, can become what they then share. But the good news is that there are things that protect from addictions. You see, just because people experience those things does not necessarily mean that they will go down that pathway. Having resiliency is one of the things that we really try to do with kids, helping them cope with those types of situations. And this is, I've very quickly summarized some data that Andrews University did, number of research that they've done, among Seventh-day Adventists, by the way, among Seventh-day Adventist young people, what they have found is that if the family has worshiped together at least once a week, the children are less likely to fall into addictions. Once a week, family worship. If they believe that their parent loves me unconditionally, yes, they punish me, yes, when I do wrong, but they love me unconditionally. I know that it prevents them from going down that route. If they have a lot of love and warmth in the family, then they are less likely to go down the path. Now, this is amazing. When the family eats dinner together at least five times a week, they are less likely to go down the path of addictions. They're less likely to try risky behavior. Having dinner together. Anybody remember that as just being the norm? Is it the norm anymore? Unless you're in front of the TV. Or something like that, right? Yeah. How simple. Well, okay, let's, say, let's be honest. It's not easy to have dinner together every night anymore. But we've got to make priorities. In fact, one of the researchers who was part of the study, when she discovered this, she changed her schedule, and her family has dinner together. When we recognize the importance, we'll do what we need to. Isn't that right? Also, protecting from addictions, attending church every week when the family goes to church every week, having, uh, attending other religious programs. So, church is, so religion is not just those two hours you clock in and clock out. It's an ongoing daily religious life, has personal prayer and time for, for Bible study. 
It's an ongoing daily part of their life. One of the things I didn't put on here is that when teenagers believe that their body is the temple of the Holy Spirit, that is basically the number one reason why they won't engage in harmful behaviors. That's what they told the researchers. It's incredible that these beliefs and teachings that have really been part of the church, sort of the culture of the church, there were reasons for it all. And now we kind of see there really was a good reason for it all. So what I like to say is that God gave the Sabbath and our church family to protect us from addictions. And this is all the more necessary in these last days because iniquity is abounding. It's all the more necessary. So let's look again at the consequences of sin. We saw this, right? The mental brokenness, the spiritual brokenness, relational, and the physical. All these things that came in as a result of sin. Well, let's now look at the consequences of addiction. We have cognitive or emotional. In other words, mental brokenness. These are some of the things that people who are struggling with addiction struggle with. Preoccupation with the substance abuse that they're using or the behavior. It's like it's, it's the first thing that they think of and the last thing that they think of. It's the most important thing in their life. The inability to evaluate risks associated with that behavior or with the drugs. We talked about how, how addictions change the brain and prevent you from the, the parts of the brain that help you make healthy decisions. So they're not able to evaluate those risks. They also have a belief that the problems in their life are not really related to the addiction, to the drug or the behavior. They really don't see that. And that's the truth for them. They can't recognize that fact. They also have increased risk of anxiety, dysphoria, emotional pain. They're increasingly sensitive to stress. Even little things just kind of, you know, make them go off. They have difficulty identifying or describing their feelings, that benumbing of their mind. They can't, they really don't know what's going on in their mind or in their emotions. They're numb to it all. Physical problems. Now, there, there's, there are many more things. I just put a few things on here. There's the effect of the substance or the behavior on their physical body. There's the injury inflicted um, while they're intoxicated. Uh, there's overdose and that, what that can lead to. Increased risk of stroke, heart attack, poor hygiene and nutrition. Those things are no longer important when you're truly in that addic caught in that addictive cycle. Um, and then malformations that can happen when uh, a child is exposed in the, in the womb. There are also social problems that come from addictions. Relationships suffer 
many of them lose families, lose their connections with social support that was part of their life at one point. Uh, they have a hard time maintaining healthy relationships, and then they become dependent on certain types of relationships, the ones that promote that, that addictive behavior. So, spiritual problems as well when it comes to addictions. Their spiritual senses become numb. They lose interest in spiritual activities, such as the prayer, Bible study, church attendance. All those things that we just saw were actually protective. It now, it's, it's no longer of interest to them. They question God. They lose faith in him. Or see ourselves, see themselves as unworthy of him. And they just give up on him entirely. Again, not realizing the change that has been made in their brain that has changed their perception of reality and the truths that maybe they at one time had. The frontal lobe that's affected. So the consequences of addiction, they affect us mentally, emotionally, physically, and spiritually. Aren't those the four things that God created us with? All four are affected. All four are affected. This is why I believe this message is so much more important at these, in this time. Because we have a message that shares hope and wholeness. You see, people all over the world, and even in our own churches, are looking for freedom. They're looking for something to place their hope on. And we all struggle with something, and sometimes it's understanding that we're all given that broken machinery, and that we're all in the same boat, trying to get to a better place, it helps us help each other. Because it's no longer about, oh, how better I am than you are, or you're that person, or you're this, or whatever label we want to put on anyone. It's no longer about that. It all becomes about how are we going to get through this? Because we're all in it together. Councils for the Church, page 216, says this. When the gospel is received in its what? Purity and power. It is what? A cure. Anybody want that, perf that panacea? That cure-all? Somebody's, every, people all over the world are looking for that cure that will cure everything. You can call it juice this or powder that or whatever. But here is the cure for the maladies that originated in sin. When the gospel is received in purity and power. Continuing in that same quote, 
not all this world bestows can heal a broken heart. How many people struggling with addictions have had a broken heart? Or impart peace of mind. How many of them are struggling for peace in their mind to settle all those, those issues that happened in their life history? Why? Why did all that happen to me? Or can remove the care or to banish disease that can be a result of that behavior. Fame, genius, talent. You see, they can, they can try, we can all try to muster ourselves up and make us look good and, you know, get all popular and whatever it is. But none of these, all of these are powerless to gladden the sorrowful heart or to restore the wasted life. The life of God in the soul is man's only hope. We talked about yesterday that recovery from addictions comes from hope. And here, the life of God in the soul is man's only hope. Other things may have a temporary fix. And the, the, the treatments that we get people to, the, the supports that we give them, all of those things are good. And they're all helpful in the process. But at the end of the day, the only thing that explains it all and makes it all make some kind of sense is the gospel the life of God in us. When we're talking about the last days, we're going to have to talk about the book of Revelation. Amen? Amen. It happens to be my favorite book in the Bible. And this happens to be one of my favorite chapters, Revelation chapter 14. We're probably pretty familiar with these verses, but I think it bears reading together. Revelation 14, verses 6 through 11. And I saw another angel fly in the midst of heaven, having the everlasting gospel. What were we talking about? The gospel, the good news having the everlasting gospel to preach unto them that dwell on the earth to every nation and kindred and tongue and people. What was Christ's promise? This gospel of the kingdom shall be taken to all nations. Verse 7, saying with a loud voice, fear God and give glory to him for the hour of his judgment is come. And worship him that made heaven and earth and the sea and the fountains of waters. Talking back to creation. Remember how God created you. Remember that. And recognize that he wants to take you back there. Verse 8, the second angel. There followed another angel saying, Babylon is fallen, is fallen, that great city, because she made all nations drink of the wine of the wrath of her fornication. Remember the iniquity that abounds? In verse 9, the third angel, the one we're waiting for in its fullness, 
And the third angel followed them, saying with a loud voice, If any man worship the beast and his image and receive his mark in his forehead or in his hand, the same shall drink of the wine of the wrath of God, which is poured out without mixture into the cup of his indignation. And he shall be tormented with fire and brimstone in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb. In verse 11, And the smoke of their torment ascendeth up forever and ever, and they have no rest day or night who worship the beast and his image and whoever receiveth the mark of his name. And just as Christ was speaking on the mount by Jerusalem and telling about all those terrible things that happened, and then he added the apostrophe. Here he says, John put verse 12 in there. He says in Revelation 14, 12, here is the patience of the saints. Here are they that keep the commandments of God and the faith of Jesus. Just as Christ said on the mount, those that endure to the end will be saved. He's telling us again, here are the patience of the saints. There is a group that will not fall into all of that. There is hope. You don't need to be part of that. And then in verse 15 of Revelation, verse 2 and 3, he repeats it. And I saw, as it were, a sea of glass mingled with fire, and them that had gotten the victory over the beast and over his image and over his mark and over the number of his name stand of the sea of glass having the harps of God. God says, this is the condition of the world. This is where the vast majority of people are going, but I have an apostrophe. And you can be part of it. We can be part of it. 1 Peter 2, 11, he says, Dearly beloved, I beseech you as strangers and pilgrims, abstain from those fleshly lusts that war against the soul. Abstain from them. Don't go down that road. I want to, I'm going to skip through a little bit. In mind, character, and personality, by the way, I would encourage everyone to read this book, Mind, Character, and Personality. It's a two-volume book. This is from volume two, page 666. You won't forget that, I know. <laughs> it says this, the only security for any soul is right thinking. Have we been talking about the mind? And have we talked about what addiction does to the mind? Well, the only safety is right thinking. As a man thinks in his heart, so is he. Proverbs 23, 7. The power of self-restraint strengthens by exercise. So for individuals who have struggled with addictions, who have, who have repeated those behaviors over and over again, by strengthening their good behaviors through exercising them, by doing them, by repeating them. It's all part of the, profit, the process. 
That which at first seems difficult by constant repetition grows easy until right thoughts and actions become habitual. So our behaviors affect our thoughts. By doing the right things, you are influencing your mind and strengthening your mind and thereby strengthening your good behaviors as well. Is this hope for those who have struggles with addictions? If we will, we may turn away from all that is cheap and inferior and rise to a high standard. We may be respected by men and be loved of God. God may and will forgive the repenting sinner. Philippians 2.5, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. It's all coming down to the mind. Review and Herald, here's how to, here's something, um, another um, chapter that I would recommend you read is in, oh, I forgot the reference, it'll come to me. Um, let's, I'm going to skip through some of these quotes. Here we are. Review and Herald, June 10, 1884. There are themes that demand serious consideration. You know, I might want to go back. During the awakening hours, the mind will be constantly employed. So our mind is always working, whether we want it to or not. If it dwells on unimportant matters, the intellect is dwarfed and weakened. Okay, so what we focus our mind on affects the strength of the brain. There may be some spasmodic flashes of thought, but the mind is not disciplined to steady, sober reflection. There are themes, this is continuing the same quote, there are themes that demand serious consideration. They are those connected with the great plan of redemption, which is soon to be finished. Are we talking about the last days here? Yes. Jesus is about to be revealed in the clouds of heaven, and what manner of characters must we have to enable us to stand in that day? Continuing that quote, by dwelling upon these themes of eternal interest, the mind is strengthened and the character developed here is the secret of growth in grace and in the knowledge of the truth. In other words, when we study the great theme of redemption, our mind is strengthened. When we study those prophecies that seem so confusing and frightening, but we say, Lord, help me understand. He strengthens our mind to understand. These are the great themes of these days. These are the ones that our attention are being called to. And even if our mind has been hurt and damaged with whatever addictive behaviors or abuses or whatever the experience has been in the past, the promise is if we practice them, if, they, if we continue with that activity, the mind will strengthen. 
But we need to focus on the themes of relevance for today as well. You know, this is um, something that's very important as we talk about how a church does ministry. Because it's important that we serve people. It's important that we do things for people with no strings attached. But whenever we prayerfully have the opportunity to take their minds to the greater themes of eternity, we're helping them strengthen their minds too. We can never separate the great gospel truths because it could make the difference for them. The question always is when and how. It's not a question of if, it's when and how do we speak to them about these things. The good news is that all of this wickedness, the evil, will be destroyed. The one who brought it all to us will also be destroyed. The end will come. God will vindicate his law and deliver his people. Amen? Satan and all, this is from Desire of Ages, page 763. Satan and all who have joined him in rebellion will be cut off. And sometimes we don't like to hear that. But it's the reality of what will happen. Sin and sinners will perish. Now, we like to hear that sin will perish. But it's hard to hear that sinners will perish, too. It is hard. It should be hard. Root and branch, Satan the root and his followers the branches. You know, this is not about those people, though they've made terrible decisions like we all have. But remember, they were born with that terrible equipment just as we have too. But it will all be destroyed. But, from the book From Eternity Past, page 238, but amid the tempest of divine judgment, the children of God will have no cause for fear. The Lord will be the hope of his people and the strength of the children of Israel. From Joel 3.16. Christian temperance and Bible hygiene. One who is weakened and even degraded by sinful indulgence may become a son or daughter of God. This is the hope. It doesn't matter how bad, it doesn't matter how bad iniquity abounds. It is in his or her power to be constantly, listen to this, doing good to others. You see, one of the keys to breaking free from addictions is to stop thinking about ourselves and our problems and to actually help others. And helping them to overcome temptation, and in so doing, he will reap benefit to himself. Wow. So if someone is struggling with the problem of addictions, one of the best things to do, like we talked about, 
get them to study the gospel if they if you can you know encourage them and then get them to help someone else who's struggling with addictions in the same passage he may be a bright and shining light in the world and at last hear the benediction well done good and faithful servant from the lips of the king of glory doesn't matter how bad the situation was god says i can restore i can rebuild Psalm 147, verses 2 and 3. It is the Lord who builds up Jerusalem. He gathers the outcasts of Israel. He heals the brokenhearted and binds up their wounds. Whatever the pain, whatever the suffering, whatever the brokenness has been part of our history, he builds it up. And you know what? As Vicky says, he then weaponizes it. He then takes it and makes it into your strength. And the story that you give, the story that you share about where God took you and where he has you now is the strength that someone else needs. That is the hope that they are looking for. They want to see the gospel in reality, not just words. Not just high promises. They want to know, is it real? And the reality is when it happens in our life. This is how the gospel is taken to all the world for a witness. It's because we tell them, well, he did it in my life. He wants to do it in yours, too. That is the gospel taken to all the world. Daniel 12.3, one of my favorite verses. And they that be wise and shall, shall shine as the brightness of the firmament, and they that turn many to righteousness as the stars forever and ever. You know, the ones who have the most hurts, the most brokenness, have, are the ones who've had the most, the greatest of healings. <laughs> and their story shines the brightest. And it draws other people to God. Whatever the, the dusty, the rough spots, the rust, the tar, whatever it was, whatever that filth was that has covered our lives, God says, I'm going to make you shine as the stars but you got to walk with me on this journey. There are things that you need to do in that process. You need to strengthen your mind. Go to the Word of God. Study it like you've never studied before. Say, Lord, open my mind. It's so rusty and broken, but you, can, you created it. You can open it up. And then say, Lord, whatever you teach me, help me to teach someone else because that might be the hope that they're looking for, too. We were all broke, born with broken machinery. And each one of us has a different story. 
Each one of us has a different past. The question for us in these last days is, are we going to let God write our future? Are we going to let him take that story and say, I'm going to scratch it out and start all over again with you? That's his desire. Is it ours? Let's pray. Dear Father in heaven, Lord, I'm broken. My friends here, we're all broken. And we're all stuck together. And sometimes we really get ugly with each other. And we smell. We're terrible. But you've promised that we can be as bright as the brightest stars in heaven. And if you said it, Lord, strengthen our faith so that we will believe it. And we will take hold of your promise. And we will say, Lord, whatever I am, wherever I am in my life, take me today and write your story. Your story is the gospel, the good news. Write it in my heart so that it transforms my life, and then it will help someone else too. Lord, we know your, your coming is soon. We, we want to hasten it, and we want to do that by taking this gospel to all the world for a witness. Thank you, Father, that this is a work that you can do beyond our wildest imaginations. Help us to stay in you, to stay in your word, and to connect with those who will help us on this journey so that at last we can hear you say, us, say to us, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your Lord. We praise you, and we look forward to seeing you face to face. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www dot audioverse dot org.